This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Loopcast, everyone. Today, we are going to be talking about jihadi encryption. So this is an interesting topic, and it's kind of come to light a bit um, with the whole Snowden fiasco, which we'll get to a little bit more in the talk, but we're going to look at some of the um, historic events behind jihadi encryption encryption, and um, some of the topics and debates about it. So today I'm very happy to have Kriptia on the line, and he is going to be our expert today on this topic. So first, um, welcome to the show. Thank you. So why don't you just walk us through the history of jihadi encryptions to start off with? Okay, well, um, the one that I became most familiar with right off, you know, when they started throwing it out there was uh, Mujahideen Secrets, um, or if you're looking for it online, Asrar.exe. Um, and that, you know, I saw in the boards coming up more and more, you know, hey, you can use this uh, if you want to email, you know, back and forth encrypted. It really didn't pick up a lot of speed, um, and 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 actually, I, I went back today and I looked, and the first uh, hits I saw on Mujahideen secrets was around 2008 um, that it started showing up, and it really picked up speed after um, Anwar Awlaki was using it, as well as the um, media arm for AQ AQAP. Uh, in the Inspire magazine, um, they were using it to email questions to the leaders, and they would publish the the questions and the answers in the Inspire magazine when it would come out. So um, that was the one that I was more familiar with because they were really kind of pimping that one, saying use this. Um, but because the groups are varying and they may not all play well together, other groups created other versions of uh, encryption software. And so there was um, Asrar al-Darash, and then uh, Am al-Mujahid. So, you know, those are the three. There's others. There's plenty of others. There's a big list, actually. A lot of them are based on the same kind of... Um, encryption algorithms, same kind of programming. Um, but the top three are those three. The uh, the last one is by Alfajr. And that one actually is a new iteration, just came out in June of this year. And so, you know, they're all vying, they're all using it for their own purposes. That, you know, whether you're talking back and forth in email or um, in the case of... Uh, a couple of these, you could actually use them uh, with Pigeon. So you could, you know, encrypt your session typing back and forth. Um, so they've been around a while. I mean, 2008, it's a good long time ago. Mm-hmm. And from their beginning to now, what kind of kinks have they had? I'm sure it hasn't been smooth sailing the whole time. 
Well, like any encryption, um, it's not necessarily easy to set up a key, set up a private key, transmit your key, get the other guy's key, um, and do the same, you know, doing the key shuffle, basically. And for a lot of people who aren't really tech savvy, let's say, um, maybe they don't know how to install and run a Linux system, let's say, or, you know, if it's not, if they're on windows and they don't nothing else, they need an XE file and they need to double click it and, you know, install it. And these kinds of people, they're not necessarily very technical. So going back and forth and trying to create keys of the right strength and then make sure that you get those keys to the other person and you get their keys securely and you keep them secure. That's the hard part. Um, there's another angle to that of, am I going to trust this software that some guy is sending me, you know, to, they put it up on online on these sketchy sites and say, download this. Um, and then I can just create my keys and do whatever. Um, so it, it's kind of a crapshoot. You gotta, you gotta know what you're doing in the first place to, to really know how to use it properly. Um, that's the big thing. So what are some of the general weaknesses or vulnerabilities that we see in these jihadi encryption programs? Well, um, on average, the coding for them is kind of slapdash in some cases. So there may be vulnerabilities that could be exploited. I really haven't taken the time to decompile any of them and play with them. It's just no, not enough time in my day. But when you think about it, um, one of the things, like I mentioned a little bit ago, is uh, who, who are you going to trust? Um, you go to a, a jihadist board and they have a link to whatever uploader service that they put this file on for you to go get. How do you know that somebody hasn't tampered with that supply chain? I mean, do you first of all, do you know the person who's put it out there in the first place? Do you trust that person? Secondly, do you know that they haven't that that hasn't been interdicted in some way? Um, if it's not somebody who's working for the government here, let's say, and uploading that file in the first place, how do you know that that user who did put it up didn't actually get interdicted somehow and a replacement put in that is actually backdoored? Mm-hmm. So, like. You know, the whole aegis of this talk is about the Snowden revelations. And a lot of the Snowden revelations is, you know, comes down to you can't trust anything. You can't trust anything because the government can get their hands on it, maybe backdoor it or tap it or what have you. So um, how do you know to trust the, the source um, when you install it? Is it, you know, backdooring your system? So there's that. Um the crypto algorithms generally have been pretty standard. There have been some deviations, but for the most part, they're using AES or Twofish or RSA. So, you know, you've got pretty common and sturdy encryption algorithms. So it's, it's a matter then of how are they doing the implementation? How are you as the, the user doing your implementation of the keys and, and all of that? Um, so that's another issue. And, uh, you know, I, I would say there are further issues with a program, quote unquote, I'm doing the air quotes here. Um, if you download a program and you do have 
antivirus on your system. Um, you may find that suddenly that program no longer works because the AV is seeing it as malware. Um, in the case of both the possible interdiction and supply chain tampering, as well as, you know, it being a program specifically put out there as a dangle to get people to install and backdoor their systems. Um, you can see in virus totals, and I actually sent you guys some JPEGs over Twitter earlier today for everybody to see that virus total was seeing um, a particular version of uh, Mujahideen secrets as malware. Um, and it was being seen as malware by a lot of different AV vendors. So more than likely, Two th- one of two things happened. Either it did have malware in it, or it was just seen as malware by the heuristics of the of the program. So, you know, there's that. Um, so, and I would say that, just as a kind of a personal bent on it, you know, none of them, none of them are made for Linux. None of them are made for Unix. So, it's all Windows. You'll have to depend on a Windows operating system, which, as we all read every day isn't the most solid of uh, security products, let's say. So, I mean, looking at this and looking at the security factor, are these programs devised for beginners, people that really don't know what they're doing, as you said, but making it seem like they're not? But it sounds like if someone really knew what they're doing by creating these programs, they wouldn't create them that just ran on Windows and so forth. So what's the deal with that? I think there's a general lack of expertise um, that comes from the venue and the audience. So my experience of all of these programs and the back and forth with these users has been in the jihadist boards that are on the internet. They're not in the dark net. These are, just out there, PHP sites, you've got regular users who are, you know, Windows users, regular people. They're not technicians. They're not necessarily hackers um, going to these boards to discuss jihad. And they may not be as technically capable. So you have to bring a tool that is at least point-click install to get them to use it, right? Um, the the fear being, you know, post uh, Bin Laden getting whacked, um, things kind of got a bit tighter. Um, some sites went offline, retooled. Um, you'll see it again uh, in uh, when Heartbleed came out. A lot of them went down after after they figured it out and and you know made sure that their systems were patched so they couldn't you know get exploited. Uh, so they are they are learning, but the, the, the general base isn't as technical as as maybe they should be if they're going to be prosecuting online jihad, let's say. So you get these programs that are that are meant for them. They're meant to be just installed, do a couple of things. The hardest part for them usually is the the two key process, um, and you'll see that uh, you know there was an article recently uh, this week last week that came out decrying that uh, PGP was broken and should be dead. It should just be gone. Um, and when you looked at the article, much of the reasoning was around, well, it's, it's hard. 
it's hard to do. You know, you got to manage your keys. You got to do this. You got to do that. And, uh, you know, my response to that is if you can't do it right, don't do it at all then. You know, it's a perfectly fine working system. Sure, it can be a pain in the ass sometimes, but, you know, you got to deal with it. You got to learn. If you're going to run a computer, you should really know how to use it. It's like driving a car, you know, it's my opinion. But so I think it's really created for these individuals. So it's made simple. And uh, even the encryption algorithms, while they are still, um, as far as we know, unbroken. Um, in fact, uh, the the two fish stuff that they use commonly is the same stuff that Schneier and, and company built in um, 1998. So the and algorithm so programs that they're using really aren't state of the art created on their own. Um, it's more of material that's already out there that they're incorporating into these programs? For the most part. Yeah, I have heard tell that there are um, at least one or two programs that are out there that have their own slapped together uh, crypto, but I'm generally hearing that it's not great. And then you referred to the keys um, when you're going to exchange encrypted emails with, say, your fellow jihadi. This is an example. What are some of the blunders that you've seen with these key codes and, and them exchanging keys? Keys. Well, it's not like they can um, upload their public key to a key server like uh, PGP does, right? You know, um, so I've seen keys, you know, public as well as private by accident on the jihadist websites. Uh, they want to transmit back and forth. They're not necessarily going to email their public key right away. I've just seen some, some messed up <laughs> attempts where they've, they've actually put their private key up. Um, you put your, your public key out there too. I mean, uh, public keys can be used to kind of track you around as well. If it's out there, if you, if you put it on more than one site, you'll know where, where they've been mm -hmm. at least maybe who they're talking to. It's by inference. That's one of the problems with PGP and key servers is that if you upload your key to the key server and there are you know other keys that are associated with it, um, you can make inferential um, assumptions out of who you talk to because the keys have been back and forth or you know what have you. If you get into some system, you can see you know if you've got the public key in their keychain, then you know you're talking to them. Right. So there's been some blunders that way. So looking at this idea of having your own encryption program, such as Mujahideen Secrets and so forth, are these types of programs a lot about branding? So the idea of being all about the social group and joining your fellow jihadis, is it do you think it's more of less of a security thing and more of a group bonding type experience from the sounds of it it sounds like you have these guys that some might be savvy with learning how to do the encryption or they know what they're doing yet it sounds like the general emailing jihadi might not exactly be the most technically apt so is it more social thing or is it is it also around this idea of having a more secure channel to communicate I think primarily by the operators, the uh, the people in charge of the sites, um, they you know the propaganda wings, 
they are more interested in the operational security and making sure that you know encryption is used in their communications. But they're also spinning it with, um, hey, you know, Alfadra has this. You know, we created our own encryption program, still using the same cryptography in the background. But they have a different uh, image. You know, they've coded their own platform or, or taken bits of others in some cases. Um, and, and in the case of the Alfadra piece, uh, they actually... And I, I tweeted out earlier a picture of this um, on on the site. You can actually get a version that runs on Android. Now, I don't know what the security of that because Android's pretty insecure for the most part, anyway. Right. Um, you know, did I wonder if Google looked at that? Uh, <laughs> so, you know, they they're getting a little more savvy as to hey, you want to use your Android phone to do this? Cool, you know. Um, and and they're the only ones I've seen do that yet. Um, the others haven't ported to Android that I know of. But uh, as they as they move along, as they become more technically inclined in the sense that there's penetration of these types of devices um, and an understanding of it, uh, and reaching out to the the wider audience, um, they'll spin it. But it'd also be the the base idea is to have uh, more secure comms. And, so and, and that may that may be now, I mean, you're talking zeitgeist, right? So since Snowden started dumping his stuff, sure, everybody's, I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer that you'd be saying, eh, well, I need to make sure that my encryption is, you know, if I'm talking to somebody, I don't want any, I don't want the NSA to see it, right? So it's a, it's, it's a simple thing, but to, to say, and I, and this all comes from that recorded future piece uh, for me, uh, that, oh my God, suddenly they're doing encryption. No, 2008, they were doing it. They were doing it all along online because they had the fear that they were being watched. Um, and email is unencrypted. I mean, it's not, a, you don't have to be a mental genius to figure that out. So going back to the idea of if these people were using, um, more mainstream, encryptions like PGP or so forth, you know, they're going through all this trouble creating their own programs and you pretty much laid out the reasons, but maybe for our less computer savvy listeners, why don't you explain the idea of backdoors, which seems to be the big fear. Um, mm -hmm. What is that? So explain it for our listeners that might not know what that term is. Okay. Well, backdoor is a, uh, a piece of code that will allow someone into your system who you don't want there. Um, so the common analogy today would be malware um, or, yeah, malware. It, if you think about all that you see in the news today, the stuff about uh, the CHS, the, the health system that got hacked um, allegedly by APT, which is Advanced Persistent Threat, which means China in, in this case, um, all these users of this technology are just sending people bits of code that will install on in the system and allow access to that system remotely. That's basically what it means. So um, what the fear is and why these guys are creating their own homebrew versions 
of encryption uh, programs, the actual program to do the work using the algorithms that are already out there created and, and have withstood the test of time is because they're not going to trust the software that they would say go if they're going to go get PGP. Um, PGP is an American program. Phil Zimmerman developed it. I forget when it was. It was like 90s, I think. And let it out on the internet for everybody. He got into trouble for that because at the time it was, encryption was considered a munition by the American government. Uh, but it's out there. Later on, it was bought by a company. I think it was Symantec. Um, but the fear being that just like what you hear about all the Snowden revelations is that um, if it's a company that the NSA or the FBI can reach out to and maybe strong arm with a national security letter and ask for a backdoor to be installed, then it's game over. So they're not trusting that supply chain that I talked about earlier. So they're going to go and say, well, okay, well, Mohammed has created this. Great. I'm going to use that because I trust Mohammed more than I trust an American company mm-hmm. who may be a puppet for the NSA. So that's their aegis. So going back to these programs, I mean, you've got these guys using them, guys, maybe even women as well. Um, don't some of these programs create easily recognizable data to identify terrorist communications and organizations and, of course, users online, because as you said, you know, there, there are these people and they're using the Jahandin secrets or whichever made up crypt- encryption programs. So, I mean, to me, it seems like a great place to narrow down on individuals. Yeah, if they're if they're sharing the keys on the the boards, let's say where I've seen them, you know, share keys or say they're sharing their keys on Hotmail. Well, Hotmail's Microsoft. I mean, really, it's not that hard for Microsoft just to give up keys, you know, give up the the actual accounts that they're sitting on. If all the traffic's encrypted, that's one thing. Maybe not, you wouldn't be able to necessarily decrypt it um, unless those users made, you know, users made some really bad mistakes um, in implementation or the creator's maybe made some implementation errors in, in how they were uh, using the algorithms. But, you know, um, you've got the, the email address, you've got the email container, you know who's talking to who because the email address isn't encrypted. The headers may have uh, IP addresses where if they're not using Tor or some other proxy, bingo. You know, so the inferential thing is is really uh, a problem. Um, so, so much so that you know, even today, you know, if you're using PGP and you're just like me, you know, you're just a, a guy, and I use PGP and I email somebody. Right now, the NSA, they, there's stuff that's out there from Snowden that says, "Hey, you use encryption; they're more interested in you." You know, in the big, the big sucking Hoover sound that you hear, your stuff could be in there, and, and it, something shuffles through it and says encryption. They'll flag it, and they'll look at it later, maybe. You know, decide whether or not 
who you're talking to warrants further investigation. So there's that, you know, no matter what you do, there's always going to be some portion of that, unless you've got some elaborate dead drop worked out um, that, you know, they don't know anything about. Uh, maybe, maybe in the dark net, there's some mail servers in the dark net that might not be owned by the NSA that could work. Um, and you could encrypt your traffic and none, nobody be the wiser. I mean, this is why they're hoovering everything. You know, it's a big drift net. Um, I don't condone it, but that's the reasoning, you know, why they're doing it. Um, along with the active, um, attacking that they're doing. But on the, on the, on the CT side, you use Gmail, you use Hotmail, you use Yahoo and you're trafficking in this stuff. You may, you're in, you're, your actual email may be encrypted, but they're going to know who you're talking to and maybe your IP address if you're not being careful. So taking this conversation into a little bit of a different frame, where do you place the use of encryption in the larger frame of communication security and operational security? So things like um, financial and logistical security um, and where outsiders are brought in, how does that work? Well, the the real operators, I mean, a lot of them aren't really doing a lot online that's going to be caught. You know, when Bin Laden almost got whacked, uh, he discovered that his sat phone had been compromised. So he went and after 9-11 disappeared, he was using runners. And, you know, maybe he was using he was using USB sticks because in the in the pocket litter, uh, they found USB sticks, but he also had a huge amount of, uh, you know, laptops, hard drives and stuff, but it was all not connected to anything, you know, in his, in his uh, Pakistani bunker there. So if they're being smart and they're using trade craft, they're not necessarily just hopping on Gmail and emailing. So there's that, there, there's a different operational level for those real guys who are in touch with the real baddies. Then there's the the people on the jihadist boards that they're trying to, the media wing is trying to engage and get them to radicalize further. Um, that's fairly open. I mean, the, the, the boards may be somewhat closed in that you have to be nominated now to get accepted into the board and get a, you know, pass and log and all that. Um, but still, it's on the internet. You don't think it's going to be attacked or compromised because it's some badly implemented PHP site. You got to be joking, you know? So the level is different. The level set should be different because like I said before, we're talking about average people who have internet connections and a, and a Mac or a windows box and they're just getting on the internet and they're going to the site. Now they have been, getting better at putting it out there saying use tails, use Tor. Um, so a lot of that traffic going to the actual PHP server where this board sits is not necessarily getting uh, their true IP address. So that's made it a little harder. But the encryption level thing, hmm, it's there. I don't think they see it as all important 
Um, otherwise, they if they really cared about their OPSEC, they wouldn't be doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you look at Al-Qaeda way back when, sort of their heyday before 9-11 and so forth, um, you, you really see the way that they communicate as much more, like you said, archaic. They have runners. They... They're, you know, using burner phones if they're using phones at all, and each runner has no idea about the next the next person. Everyone, it's just like one person knows something and the next person, and it seems like using the internet, of course, it's a brilliant tool for communications, yet on the other hand, as you said, it's very volatile to being intercepted, um, tracked, and so forth, so... Yeah, um, I mean, they, they, use, they use Facebook a lot for, it's all propaganda stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they're, maybe if they're planning something, they might use a language encryption in the sense of, you know, kind of saying the, the raven flies at midnight, you know, that kind of thing, drop the watermelon, whatever. <laughs> um, and that's, and that we've seen them do that, um, even verbally over phone. So, you know, if you have more compartmentalization and you're using tradecraft, that's different, but these guys aren't necessarily doing that. So they may have um, Mujahideen secrets, but they could be sitting on a box that is Windows, you know, XP, no patches, and easily popped. You know, what's the value there? So they really don't understand the lay of the land, technically. Mm. And the NSA does. Yeah. So... How is the constant challenge to communication and operational security for these jihadis affected the organization of jihad as a whole, as a group? Well, a lot of the a lot of the mainstream stuff is still out on the net, and that's the propaganda wing and, and trying to get more people to give money. Uh, or show up in Syria, let's say, you know, right now is, you know, the new Afghanistan, like we were saying before. So exhorting people to do things. Um, the whole idea of inspire was that, you know, trying to exhort the, the Western Muslim to action. Um, but the, the core groups, they're doing their thing in country and they may not touch a, a PC connected to the internet in fact, they may not have infrastructure in some places to do it. Um, the early days, I mean, when this all started right after 9-11, um, you know, really the infrastructure, a lot of the stuff was in like the shower um, for getting access to the Internet. These guys were going to cafes, you know, and stuff if they didn't have uh, money for sat phone and, and uplink, that kind of stuff. And uh, so <clears throat> after, after it really became clear, and it's not just Snowden, um, there were other things that, that kind of came out over time, and, and they were worried about it, that the Internet was just a little too open. They, they kind of backed off for the real operations. But if you do it right, you can do a dead drop online. I mean, well... Uh, what was that general that got in trouble uh, last year, year before, for the affair? Um, I forget it. Yeah, Petraeus. His name eludes me as well. Was it? Was it Petraeus? 
I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say 100% yes on that since we are on on air. I don't I don't know for sure. Uh, well, the, there was the the general who got in trouble. Um, he was using a dead drop through Gmail with his girlfriend, mm-hmm. and because it was on Gmail, the FBI just went hey, give us the give us the account, and they did, and they got all the emails because well they weren't encrypted, but. What they would do is they would just log in, write, an, write a draft email, save it, and the other person would just log in later because they had the same, they had the password and everything, and they just log in, read it, delete it, right? If they deleted, I don't think they did. Um, so that's the kind of idea of a dead drop. So sure, do that with some godforsaken little uh, email company that nobody's ever heard of. Um, so it's always possible, but it's not a mainstream thing. So looking at that, I mean, could you say really that the real bad guys, so the real top leaders, the people that are really planning things, they're not going to be using these encryption programs necessarily. It's more for what I like to call the armchair jihadi, the wannabe jihadi, the person that you know is supporting whatever group it is, let's say ISIS or Al-Qaeda. So... The guy that's supporting, but from afar. Would that be? I think that's a fair explaining it, maybe almost. Yeah, I think it's a fair estimate, but I think there's also the possibility that there are some that are using it in select ways, very, you know, being trying to be under the radar. Um, And, you know, an occasion of that would be Alaki. Alaki was talking to. uh, the guy who shot up the base in Texas, Nadal Hassan, over Mujahideen secrets. Mm. Um, but I will caveat that Alaki was doing that as part of a propaganda to get Nadal to do what he did. Right? So there was no operational detail, as far as I know. I I'm not privy to all of that. But, you know whether Nadal wrote him an email with the secrets and said, this is what I plan on doing. What do you think? Um, then, then it was just a back and forth of, Hey, I'm the imam. You know, you should be, you should be radical about um, this because, you know, you, they're killing Muslims and you're, you're in the army there, you know, um, so there's that. So there may be some that are using it, but I, I don't think it's more of a mainstream thing. If they were if they were really wanting to be secret about it, they wouldn't be publishing it online for everybody to attack. Because if you're uploading it and you're saying you're uploading it to, you know, some uploader site, that's that's asking for somebody like me or somebody else to come along and say, well, let's redirect that traffic to something that's already been owned and infect them with malware. Mm-hmm. So Compartmentalization is big. So have you actually seen, other than Aulaki, have you seen other pretty savvy jihadists using this, these encryptions, or are they so savvy that we don't know about them? Well, they may be quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some guys on the boards who are known players, but I have not seen their keys and I've not seen them 
discuss, hey, let's go talk about this, you know, with Mujahideen secrets. For, for most the time that I see them, they're on the boards and they're talking, giving direction, you know, um, to people saying, well, this is why you should be doing this, or this is how you should be doing this, or be careful of this, um, or touting when things happen, you know, usually putting out the, you know, like the, the video that was on the YouTube of, of Foley's execution, they would be on there pimping it out. Mm -hmm. Um, they're, they're just throwing it out there and they're not saying, uh, Let's encrypt this. So it's it's quite in the open. <clears throat> and I can't say for sure that there aren't some of these guys actually using PGP or they went and they got GPG from SourceForge. But I haven't seen too many of these guys running Linux. Um, the hacker crews are a little bit um, less radical. Um, it's changing. But... You know, the the Islamic hacker front, you know, kind of started really with um, the Syrians. Anyway, you know, the pro, uh, earlier than that, Team Poison. And and where that leads to now is um, Trick, who was with Team Poison, who got popped for uh, stealing the prime ministers uh, of England's um, emails and contacts and stuff and publishing them. Uh, he recently got to Syria and is tweeting on a Twitter account as of the last one I saw was the 28th of July that he's in Syria and he's working with IS. Um, and the fear is that he may be helping others within the milieu there to learn how to hack and how to do more of the online type of work that IS is um, – kind of savvy about you know uh their twitter campaign was pretty interesting and though twitter would try to tamp them down they came up with innovative ways to deny twitter um with scripted processes and uh in one case where <laughs> they could they they sent it out there so that they had a program that could tweet by other people's Twitter accounts if you allowed it. So all these people were tweeting IS propaganda because they had allowed uh, their their accounts to be used. So it's this huge megaphone. Um, and that was pretty that was pretty savvy on their part. So that's the the worry that I have right now is that IS, which has a good campaign online, uh, might become more technically inclined and, and do more things. And do you think because of this, these new developments and how savvy IS is with their internet skills, social media, and so forth, do you think we're entering into a new era of jihadi communication that might be much harder to track and much harder to possibly contain? If they get, if they get smarter about their opsec, you know, if they if they re opsec is hard. It really is. You can always make a stupid mistake. And that, that one thing could lead to your downfall. Um, a while back, years ago, there was a kid who was uh, teaching hacking. And he was doing YouTube videos. He was a, a Muslim hacker. But he, he kind of had jihadi affiliations. And he was teaching how to uh, hack and do credit carding. But 
he, you know, he made a mistake. It was a simple, stupid mistake, but it still popped him. And that was that in his YouTube videos, I watched them all, and I finally found one that he had his real IP address in the command line. So I knew exactly where he was. Passed that along. Um, but everything else, he had tour. He was doing all kinds of things, you know, to try to proxy out and make it obfuscated. But he still made that one mistake. And that's what will be your downfall. So unless your OPSEC is perfect, you will always make a mistake. So even if you have crypto, it's not the panis- You know, it's not the thing that's going to make everything okay. You will get caught eventually. Um, because you make mistakes, you're human. So I think that's 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 the thing is is like they may learn more tricks, but they still are, you know, human, and they'll make a mistake. Mm-hmm. So we've been looking at jihadi groups per se right now, but where do we factor in the lone wolf? So we hear about the concepts and ideas of lone wolves a lot of the time in the news every now and then we have some sort of attack that, you know, this whole talk of lone wolves pops up. So where do they factor into all of this? Well, the, the inspire magazine really was aimed at the lone wolf, this idea, radicalizing individuals outside of the, the lands, quote unquote, to action. And over time, as, you know, all those inspires came out and they had things in them, you know, hey, why don't you go get your F-150 and put blades all over it and then run into a crowd? (laughs) You know, that was one of their ideas. Um, In between all the exhortations and the, and the Quranic verses, um, you know, they, they, they tried, but, over time, they they kept grappling with it, and they could never really get a toehold, right? So in the States, there have been many, well, not many. There have been a few people that we've heard about who have either tried to leave the country or got uh, stung by the FBI. Now, there is a report out recently uh, about some of those stings and how a lot of the times the FBI kind of made their own jihadis. Um, where they picked up on these people, I'm not sure. Maybe some of them were online on the boards. I know of one in particular that was. Um, and he kind of self-radicalized, but he was also mentally unstable um, to begin with. So you you've got this, this propaganda going out there trying to get these lone wolves to energize. And it really just hasn't happened in the way that they would like, let's say. And I haven't seen a whole, you know, huge shift of people uh, trying to go to Syria. Um, But in the UK and in Europe, different story. It's happening more. Um, And with IS, uh, We've seen it happen even more lately with British recruits um, as well as other European recruits going. And and it's not because the, you know, Inspire magazine is out there either. I mean, the old issues are out there, but that is kind of defunct now. There's some other magazines that are, you know, trying to get it out there, but they just don't have the same um, 
pull as the Inspire did. So, yeah, I, I think that the change is that it's really with ISIS or IS, and we'll see what happens with that. Um, but suffice to say that it was hard to get to Afghanistan after we invaded Afghanistan. It was not hard to get to Afghanistan in the 80s when UBL got there and others teamed in to fight the Russians. Now you've got Syria, and it's a free-for-all. So they're all going to Syria because they want to test themselves. That's where they're going. They want to be lions. They want to go to Syria. They want to fight in the jihad. So if they radicalize because they see it online, they try to go, they go. But I have other theories about that. You know, I don't think necessarily that a single individual in his basement is going to radicalize to the point of of actually going and doing it. Um, I ascribe more to the the group of guys theory um, than anything else. Mm -hmm. So we talked, I alluded to at the starting of the talk, but... Let's bring the whole Snowden leaks in here, because this is something that, as you mentioned, there's been a number of articles uh, about this. And Curtis Wallen has put forth the idea, and I'm going to paraphrase here, that the Snowden leaks revealed deep but ultimately narrow band of information from which to adapt against. And their move in their move to adapt, the terrorist cells will change security procedures and thereby mess up because they do not possess the whole picture. So let's look at this and the Snowden leaks um, as a whole. Yeah, well, I think, um, like I said about OPSEC uh, and COMSEC, these are these are hard um, things to kind of just thrust yourself into if you haven't been trained. Um, these are things that are military as well as you know espionage things, tradecraft. Um, and you get trained to do that. So unless you have, if you're, you know, in the West, unless you've got somebody really training you or you have a good manual and you really, you know, practice it, there's going to be screw ups. Right. So the the mass of people who are out there online talking about this stuff, maybe radicalizing, are not necessarily getting taught about OPSEC. They're not necessarily reading about OPSEC. They're not sitting down with a manual, let's say. Um, and there are manuals uh, out there. Uh, I ran into one years ago that was basically a clone of, a, of another military operational, field, field operational manual for um, intelligence gathering, humans, uh, tradecraft. Um, the translation was funny. But, you know, basically it gets the, the point across. Now, how many of these people are actually sitting there practicing it? How many people are going out and actively trying to evade a tale? You know, it's, I don't think that's happening as, as much. If in the early days when they had the camps, um, AQ had camps and stuff, maybe they were teaching that. And they were teaching tradecraft. But uh, it's not something you just pick up online and you're able to do it uh, without any serious training. So I think Snowden's uh, documents that have been released show a very wide breadth of how 
the government via the NSA is tapping into everything. And when you look at it from the perspective of somebody in InfoSec, um, somebody in, in, in this area, you know, that understands how this technology works um, and the security angles of it, it's hard to say that anything you do online, even with good encryption, even with good operational security, is going to save you. If they want you, they're going to get you. Um, my friend Ali said it, and uh, you know, it's, if you're going up against a nation state, you're not going to win. So there you have it. I mean, all these guys out there, they're going up against a nation state. You either got to keep it, you know, small and off the grid, or there's a likelihood it's going to be picked up by the giant ear. So this concept out there that Snow, the Snowden leaks and Snowden in general has helped the jihadis because you hear articles about how, oh, all of a sudden they're scrambling and changing their encryption programs and so forth. I mean, how realistic is that? Is that just a bunch of hype or is there some reality to it? Let's hear your thoughts on that. I think, uh, I think it's a gross generalization. I think they've been, you know, like I said, they've been using encryption since 2008. Um, anybody serious about it. So we'll be using it. Um, so the serious operators will be taking time being careful. The general people that are out there maybe wanting to get in on the action aren't going to do that. So I don't think that it's changed their operational tempo that much that we should be, you know, like freaking out. Um, but yeah, at a, at a certain level, it's going to change their habit. I mean, it's changed my habit. You know, I encrypt stuff more. Um, I try to use Tor a little bit more. And, and even then, you know, you look at the, what's going on with some of this de-anonymizing and talks at Black Hat and stuff like that. You're like, oh, crap, you know, <laughs> what do I do now? You know, it's, I might as well just step away and write in a journal somewhere in pig Latin. You know, it's, <laughs> that would be more secure. So I think for everybody, the, the slate has been kind of changed and we all have to adapt that adaptation necessarily. Now these guys are, you know, maybe more people are using Mujahideen secrets. It's RSA, uh, or they're using the other products, which are two fish. And those, like I said, are solid encryption programs. Maybe there's problems with the program that they've developed. Maybe there's, supply chain tampering. So, you know, what they think they have isn't what they think they have and they've got a backdoor or, you know, they're the main, the main thing is that they may be using encryption, but all that OPSEC stuff, the failures there will lead to their downfall. So no matter what, I think it kind of equalizes out. Um, yeah, it, you know what? It's just general things that have been said, like they're tapping the fiber. They're they're putting stuff into routers. They're doing this, doing that. Um, it will make people think twice, maybe. But in the end, it's not going to make that much difference. 
So I think the key things I've learned in this conversation is that basically OPSEC and tradecraft are someone's best friend or their worst enemy, depending on how how savvy they are with it. Yeah. I mean, really, if you wanted to have a private conversation, let's say, um, and I can't say that it's going to happen now because of that, that facility in the desert, right, um, in Utah, because um, everything's getting, you know, siphoned, put away, and then will be looked at later if they need to, right? So, but if you wanted to do it, you would somehow talk to your compatriot, let them know to buy a burn cell phone. You would buy a burner cell phone. You would power it up, make that one call because you'd, you'd sync numbers somehow other than that, make one conversation and then throw it away. And even then, because you've used, if you're in the United States or even out, because, well, you know, the United States pwned everything pretty much. Um, that's probably going to get recorded at some point, right? So they could go back to it later if they look for a time frame. If, if they find out that the individual in question was in this particular area, triangulate the cell phone, you know, find, find that person. And then go from there and go back to the recording. So you'd have to be talking in code on top of that to have some other layer of protection. It, just, it gets insane. It really is amazing. It's just so deeply layered and entrenched that, as you said, it's almost impossible nowadays with all the technology we have and that we rely on every day for everything. Yeah. Um, although I do admit carrier pigeons, they seem like the, the future here. <laughs> Go back to the birds. Go back well, to the birds with encryption. Yeah. Exactly. There you go. Encrypted bird messages. There you go. Well, they, you know, they, they found one in um, in a, a chimney in England a year or two ago. Okay. And it was from World War II. It had been dead, you know, obviously. But um, they, they went to try to decrypt the message because nobody was really around anymore to be able to decrypt it. And they finally did break it. But, you know, it's interesting. So, yeah, it's a, hey, why don't we try that? <laughs> So we always like to give our guests a moment to maybe touch on something we might not have touched on or have a final say to conclude the talk. So I'm going to hand it over to you. Hmm. Okay. Well, <clears throat> the, the whole, this whole talk really kind of boiled over because of uh, recorded future um, and the reporting around that, because when recorded future uh, reported that jihadis were using encryption post Snowden, Oh my God. Um, they, they kind of glossed over some things. They really didn't do a lot of digging. They didn't even think about the OPSEC thing. Um, and I, I wrote a, a piece about it because I was, it's just, you know, fear mongering really. Um, it may be interesting, yada, 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 but you know, this thing ended up on NPR and in the, in the mainstream media and then later on, Greenwald came along and said, well, recorded future is a front for the CIA in Qtel. So there, that, that all blew out of proportion. Um, when I wrote my piece, people from recorded future were you know, trying to talk to me. I'm like, go away. I don't want to talk to you. You know, it, you did a bad job. So go away. The reality is that everything is possible that there are bad guys using encryption. 
It happens every day. But to think that, for the most part, these people who are on these boards who are propagandizing the war, the jihad, um, are the big threat, kind of disingenuous. Um, A guy that I know who will be listening to this, and I shall not name him, calls the boards the 4chan of jihad. Um, and I would agree with that that assessment. There's a lot of dirt that goes on. So there may be people who are in the background who are doing real things, real bad things, who are using it. Um, but I think those people who really have more of a sensibility of what the implications are of the security issues are not using these methods. They're not going online um, and just emailing back and forth with you know, Muhammad on Gmail. It would be just fundamentally stupid. And if they're doing that, please, please do go ahead. I hope you do. And then you get popped. (laughs) The Reaper drone will be there soon. Um, So, you know, always look at the mainstream media's portrayal of what's going on with a grain of salt. That's what I have to say. So, this all came about. I'm glad that I could talk about it and kind of go over what I know uh, from what I've seen and others that I talk to um, and, and have a, a different dialogue than, oh, my God, you know, this is amazing. No, it's been going on since 2008. It's not a big deal. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And we will actually post that link to the piece that you wrote. Um kind of rubbing up towards this talk um thank you so much for your expertise and your discussion on this because it's been a great learning lesson for me and i'm sure our listeners have learned a lot too thanks good to be here and take care thanks you too